Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. I've missed you all. You know, I haven't actually been up here speaking for seven weeks. Can you imagine? Uh, it's been a it's been a bit bit of a good rest for me, and uh, when I get deeper into the message this morning, you'll kind of know why uh, I haven't been up here speaking. But anyway, it's just good to be back. I was away last weekend uh, doing a wedding for a couple of our cross pointers, Anna and Cole. You might know them as part of our ushers team, and they got married last weekend, so that was pretty exciting. And uh, it's just yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's, there's a, there's a whole lot of weddings going around. Anyway, uh, at this point, we want to we dismiss the kids who are among us, and we're so glad that the kids were with us. But you see Delaney at the back corner over there. Uh, so any kids in the house, you can follow Delaney downstairs, and she will be happy to hang out with you for the next little bit. And uh, so glad you guys could be with us during the day. So, hey, let's give our kids a hand as they go on down. Kids are awesome. Hey, uh, before I jump into the message, just uh, want to do a really quick announcement. Uh, we, we mentioned something in the bulletin, a transition that's going to be happening uh, at Crosspoint is um, we, we want to be a connected church. That's important for us as a, as a church community is that we stay connected. And in the, the society in which we live, we're running about doing so many things. Sometimes we're away on weekends. Uh, we live in different parts of the city. And so we are trying to say in this day and age in which we live, how do we stay connected as a church body? Uh, one of the ways we've done that in the past was through a social media um, intranet system called The City. Well, I'm just, uh, as you may have read in the bulletin, or if you are on The City now, you may have got the message to say that The City is being shut down. Uh, it is uh, being, um, the designers of it, it says it's had its day, it's time to pull the plug, time to bury it, and however, they have come up with another product that is way better, um, that is more designed for mobile phones, apps, and the, the digital age in which we live in, and it's called Realm. So for those of you who are city users, just want to let you know, uh, once we introduce Realm on September the 9th, your account will automatically be transferred over. You won't have to do anything. But maybe you're here and you don't have a city account or a Realm account. This may be the first that you've heard of it. Just pay attention in the next few weeks. We're going to talk to you about how we're going to transition there, how you can sign up, how you can get better connected uh, as part of our Crosspoint community. Uh, one of the great advantages of the city and about the realm is you get up-to-the-date information. Uh, it also gives you an opportunity, like, I mean, as soon as something new comes out, we post it, prayer requests, things that are happening in our church life, church community, uh, opportunities uh, that come about. And so you can hear about it right away, up to the minute, rather than having to wait till Sunday and read it in a bulletin. So uh, that's one of the advantages of the city. It's also a great way to connect, a great way to get involved in groups, a great way to meet other people. Uh, and that's really what the city is all about. It's our digital family as a church. So uh, Realm is the newer version of that, and we'll give you details going forward about how you can get uh, connected with that. But uh, we're not going to be rolling it out until first week in September on Homecoming Sunday, which is September 9th. All right. Now you can start your watches, because now I'm going to start speaking. Uh, <laughs> um, smoke. Has anybody noticed that there's smoke in the air in Edmonton? Um, man, it's just, it's just been nuts the last little while. I've, uh, um, I've tried to stay indoors. I, I was thinking, you know, I'd like to go out for a run. I'd like to go out and get some exercise on my bike or do something like that. But the smoke hazard has been so great. Yesterday, it was up at 10. Uh, and I don't know how high the scale goes, but apparently 10 is, is about as high as it gets in the morning. Uh, so that's crazy. And then, of course, the wind came in and it got down to a 3. Um, it's been just devastating to hear about what's been happening in BC with some of these wildfires. And, of course, we in Alberta, we understand um, that pain because we've experienced it ourselves with Fort Mac. And uh, so let me just encourage us as a church community, let's, let's press in. Let's see how we can help. Um, and uh, let's, let's keep praying for what's happening in, in BC. It's, it's just a devastating thing uh, that is going on. You know, the interesting thing about fires is when there is a fire, you really have no other option. When there is a fire, you've got to go. You, you can't stay. There's nothing you can do about it. You've just got to go. And an interesting thing in a, in a wildfire situation, you have two types of going going on. 
Uh, you have those who are evacuating, who are running away from the fire, right? It's consuming their, their, their township. It's destroying their homes. There's nothing you can do. You've got to go. Pack up everything, grab a small amount of valuables, and get out of there. But on the other hand, what's interesting is that during a wildfire season, there's also a number of other people who say, you've got to go. And they're not running away from the fire. They're running towards the fire. And those are all of the volunteers, all of the firefighters, all of those people who are willing to risk their lives to help put the wildfire out. Because here's the thing, as you leave a wildfire, the reason why it's called the wildfire is if you leave it by itself, it's going to spread and it's going to be even more devastating. And so they say, we got to go, we got to do something, we got to put this fire to rest, we've got to stop it. You've got to go. This morning, I want to talk about going. And this morning, the title of our message is, You've Got to Go. Uh, if you uh, have been with us for the last while, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been doing a series called The King's Tale. Uh, the King's Tale is the, the life story, the, the true life story of Jesus through the lens of the good Dr. Luke, who with careful investigation and listening to eyewitnesses and jotting everything to, uh, down, put together the Gospel of Luke, and he's sharing it with his friend Theophilus, the lover of God, so that he might better understand who Jesus was and what it means to live in his kingdom and allow the kingdom to live inside of him. So that's what the, the King's Tale is all about. And today we find ourselves in a story in the King's Tale. Um, and interestingly enough, the theme of today's text is just simply this. You've got to go. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we go? What, what does that look like? And to gain a better understanding of what it means to go as the people of God, we're going to look at this story, this life story of Jesus. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 6, that whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we model our lives after him. We, we learn how to live by seeing how Jesus lived. And if we're going to go, then we've got to see how Jesus went. And so today, we're going we're gonna to get one snapshot among many thousands that describes for us how Jesus went. And so we're going to walk through the story, and I'm going to make a few uh, observations along the way. And then afterwards, uh, I'm going to get really, really practical. I'm going to say, okay, well, this is the story. W then what does that mean for us? And then at the end of our message today, I'm going to actually invite each and every one of you into a small moment of focused prayer. And we're going to pray about what we've discovered in the story together. So with that, let me begin by praying and invite you to pray with me. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you um, that you are the sending God who sends us out on mission into the world. And your message to our hearts is you've got to go. And God, that this was your message to your son, Jesus. You've got to go. And that Jesus' message to us is come with me. We've got to go. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, this morning would take your word and you'd bring it to life. It's your word. And we, we pray that you would open up our hearts to hear it, to receive it, that it might uh, take root and grow and build a harvest that multiplies and changes the world. And so we surrender ourselves, God, to you this morning and to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into the text. Uh, we pick up the text at Luke chapter 7. And, and verse 11, and we're just going to start reading there. So here's what it says in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Well, here's going to be the first observation. Okay, the first observation is this, is that Jesus went about. Jesus went about. So this is early in the public ministry of Jesus, which actually began in a region of Judea called Galilee. And, and at this point in the gospel story, what's been happening is that Jesus' reputation, his notoriety has just, has just started to grow, started to blossom. So Jesus has been touring throughout this Galilee region. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching extraordinary sermons, teaching people what it means to live in the kingdom and allow the kingdom to live inside of him. Uh, and, and not only that, he's been facing some opposition because word has got back to Jerusalem to the teachers of the law, to the, to the creme de la creme, the religious leaders about this Jesus guy, this, this upstart rabbi in the region of Galilee. Word has gotten, so they've been sending Pharisees to come and check out Jesus, and, and he's starting to get a little bit of confrontation from them. But while all of this is happening, Jesus' reputation is beginning to grow. And so a crowd is starting to form around Jesus. He's starting to build quite a large entourage of people 
who are going wherever Jesus goes. And, and we find this in the story this morning. And then, so Jesus is going out and about, and for no clear reason, he takes a little excursion to a village called Nain. Now, Nain was barely a town. It was actually just a, just a small little hamlet with a few roads, some settlements. It didn't have a wall, so the gate to the town wasn't really a gate. It was actually just an entrance at the end of a dusty street. Nain was pretty forgettable. Nobody who was somebody went to Nain. Nobody, nobody would have taken selfies in Nain, okay? The Google car that made the maps probably wouldn't have driven through Nain, okay? This is how unimportant it really was. And yet, Jesus went to Nain. Because what we began to discover in the Gospel of Luke is, is that Jesus wasn't actually influenced by wealth. He wasn't influenced by prestige. He wasn't inf uh, influenced by fame. Uh, he, Jesus didn't have this bucket list of all the places where he thought he needed to go. When Jesus went about, Jesus went, he went everywhere. He went to places where others wouldn't go to reach people that others couldn't reach. This is the nature of Jesus. So, what happened when he went to Nain? Let's keep on reading. Verse 12. So as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Here's the second observation. His heart went out. Jesus' heart went out. So imagine this, okay? You've got, you've got these two crowds converging on the town gate, okay? You've got Jesus and his entourage following behind him, making their way toward the town. And at the other, on the other hand, you've got uh, this funeral procession heading outside the gate because that's what they did. They took the bodies, they buried them in tombs outside of the city, right, back in, back in that day. So, and to top it off, where they were meeting was actually where most of the people in the town would spend their time, at the town gate. In that day, the town gate was kind of the gathering place where people got together and hung out. It was the Tim Hortons. It was the Starbucks. It was the mall of that day. People would gather at the town gate to have conversations, to barter, to catch up on the latest news. So Jesus was actually standing kind of in the middle of the biggest gathering of people of that time in that day. And so Jesus was out walking. He's out walking in front of this entourage. And according to the custom of the day, the widow would have been walking in front of the funeral procession. Now, it's interesting about this woman is, is that she actually had a pretty bleak future ahead of her. Her husband was dead. She had lost her only son. And in that day, there was no safety net. There was no life insurance. There was no social assistance. And there were no options, next to no options, for a woman to make a living by herself. So basically, she had lost everything, including her family legacy. Death had swallowed this woman's future whole. And so it says in the text that when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. Now that phrase in the NIV, it's, it's, it's a really interesting phrase uh, because in the, in the original language in which the Bible was written, the Bible was written in, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, in the original language, it's actually just one word. And that one word in the original language is uh, spleg... <laughs> this is going to be funny. It, it's a really hard word to say. It's plagnitomai, okay? Splagnitzomai. Turn to the person beside you and say, splagnitzomai. <laughs> oh, come on. You can do it better than that. Splagnitzomai. <laughs> All right. Now, the word essentially means deeply felt compassion or pity. So it's, it's the kind of compassion that, that grinds your stomach. It's the kind of pity that makes you feel like you've, you've been kicked in the chest. And it's interesting. In the Bible, it's, it's only found in the Gospels. You find it nowhere else in the Bibles. And for the most part, it's usually used to describe Jesus' response to brokenness and suffering and pain. So imagine the feeling you might get if you walk through the cancer ward of the children's hospital and you see children dying and hooked up to tubes. That's the, that's the feeling you get. That's splagnixomai. And for Jesus, of course, you take that feeling and you multiply it by a hundred, by a thousand. This is what it means when it says Jesus, his heart went out to her. So Jesus saw her tears. He sensed her pain. His heart went out to her. And so as they met, standing in the dust outside the city gate, he said to her, oh, look, there's light. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said to her, don't cry. 
don't cry. But he didn't stop there. Let's read on. Verse 13, verse 14. It says, Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And, and so what did Jesus do? Well, here's, here's the third observation, is that he went to her need. He went to her need. Now, now to meet this need, it's interesting, Jesus actually had to, had to push, back, push through a religious barrier. What did Jesus do before he, he spoke into the young man? He, it says that he, he walked up and he touched the buyer. Now, what was the buyer? The buyer was, was basically a wicker pallet that they were carrying the dead body on, okay? It was a bed for the dead. This was their version of a coffin. It was an open coffin. So when Jesus reached out and he touched the buyer, what would have happened is there would probably have been a collective gasp from everybody who was there. It's probably what made the bearers stand still in that moment. You see, the problem was, in that culture, you didn't touch dead things. If you did, you would have been pronounced unclean or unholy. Not only did you not touch dead things, you didn't touch things that touched dead things. Okay, because they were unholy, and if you touched them, you would become unclean and unholy. And then after that, of course, you'd have to go through this whole set of rituals to become ceremonially clean again so that you could participate in the religious uh, community and in the religious festivals. And so you didn't touch dead things. And this was actually particularly bad for rabbis. It was a no-no for rabbis. And as a matter of fact, this is what Jesus was. Because most rabbis in that day, they made a big deal about avoiding touching things that made you unclean. They made a big deal about remaining ceremonially clean. And as a matter of fact, they had just created reams of legislation describing how to remain clean and how to avoid that sort of thing. And so now this rabbi from Galilee just kind of moseys on up to the coffin and puts his hand on it. You know, I, I tried to think about what an analogy, it would be like it, an analogy for us in our, in our day and age. It would be, be like us uh, going up to the back of a dump truck, ripping open a bag of garbage, pulling out some used baby diapers and just kind of smearing them all over our body. And then going in and performing dental surgery on somebody. Or, or maybe going on a, uh, a blind date. Mmm, delicious, right? Thank you, Tinder. Right? Can you imagine? Mmm. But Jesus was not your average rabbi. Jesus was the Holy One of Israel who made things holy. Jesus couldn't be contaminated. And so he could push through this religious barrier. And after pushing through the religious barrier, Jesus did the impossible. He pushed through the veil of death. And he brought this young man to life. And it's interesting is he did it at a word. He just simply spoke to the young man. And when he spoke to the young man, the young man sat up and he started talking. Which is interesting because I think what Luke is trying to say to us is that he's fully restored this young man. Because he's, he has his full faculties. He has his physical faculties. He has his mental faculties. He is fully restored at a word from Jesus. Because that is what Jesus does. Jesus brings about restoration to our, to our lives. So in the story, Jesus went about. Jesus' heart went out. And then Jesus went to the need. And then we get to the final part of the story. What happens? Let's look at verse 16. It says, They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So how did the people respond? Well, at first they were stunned, right? Jaws dropped to their hips, right? But then after that, they began to praise God. And the first thing they declared was, hey, a great prophet has appeared among us. And, that, and that's a really interesting thing to say. A great prophet has appeared among us. I mean, don't they know who Jesus is? So why, why, do they, why do they come to this conclusion? Well, the most likely answer is that the scene in their minds would have been triggered by something they knew from their past. See, see, among the Jews in that day, there would have been a very old, familiar story. And that familiar story was one of Elijah. And Elijah had, you find it in 1 Kings 17, Elijah had befriended a widow, and he had helped a widow. But at one point, that widow's son had died. And you might remember the story. You might know the story. But Elijah went out and he pleaded with God and restored that widow's son to life. So, of course, when they saw what Jesus did, they immediately put two and two together. And they said, oh, we have another prophet in our midst. A great prophet has appeared among us. 
But then they said, God has come to help his people, which, which is just basically their way of recognizing that this wasn't something that would just happened randomly. This wasn't something that they had done, but that simply that something that only God himself could do. Now, what's clear in the story is they, they, they clearly didn't know who Jesus was. But Luke is kind of winking at us through the story here. Luke knows that we, the readers, have the advantage of seeing the big picture of what's happening. We've, we've read the first part of the story. We probably know what's going to happen at the end of the story, Jesus' death, his resurrection, his glorification. We see the big picture of the story. So Luke doesn't have to prove to us that Jesus is more than just a great prophet. He's just simply telling us, hey, this is what they saw at that moment in time. But even within the story, Luke is actually making it very clear to us that Jesus is more than just a prophet. He's showing us that Jesus is bigger than Elijah and that God has truly come to help his people, but in the flesh. That God is there, right there, in the midst, among those who are there. Now, how do we know this? Well, there, there are a couple clues in the story, and I just want to really quickly point these out to you. The first clue is actually found in verse 13. And if you go back to verse 13, what you'll see is that Luke refers to Jesus as the Lord. The Lord. And, and this is actually the first time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is referred to as the Lord. Most often when Luke refers to Jesus as the Lord, it's after the resurrection. That's where he starts calling him the Lord. But right here in the middle of it, he's just kind of putting a little clue in here, saying, the Lord did this. The Lord. But the second clue has to do with Jesus' authority. See, it's in what Jesus did, and it's the way in which he did it. See, Jesus was far greater than Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet didn't raise the boy from the dead. The Lord raised the boy from the dead. Elijah had to pray to the Lord to raise him from the dead. Elijah had to spread himself, his body, out on top of the boy's body three times. And then Elijah had to cry out to the Lord. And then finally the Lord responded, and he raised that boy up. Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus just spoke. And he spoke, and the boy came to life. And what Luke is saying is, hey, I know they don't know. They don't know who Jesus is at this point, but you all know who he is. He's the Lord. And as a result of this, when people had seen everything that happened, the word about Jesus began to spread. You know, Jesus couldn't have raised the dead at a better time or in a better location. Think of it. There was the crowd from the funeral. They were at the town gate. There was the crowd following Jesus, and he performed the most powerful miracle that a person could perform. He had conquered death. Death is unavoidable. Death is inevitable. Death is unstoppable. And yet Jesus, with a word from his mouth, defeated death. And everybody saw it. Everybody was watching. Rumors spread. God has come to help his people. Tweets went out, right? God has come to help his people. You heard it murmured at the, tower gate, at the town gates. Parents whispered it to their children as they laid them down for bed at night. God has come to his people. Now, it's at this point I want to bring the story back to us, and I'll talk about us. What do people say when they observe my life? Do you ever think about that? What do people say when they observe your life? What is it that people say when they think about Crosspoint Church and our relationship to this community, our relationship to the city, our, our relationship to your neighborhoods? When they think of our commu church community, do they think, God has come to visit his people? In other words, do they have like a, this positive view of us where they just can't get it out of their heads? There's something about, about that people. Are they thankful for us? Do they say there's something different? There's something going on there in that people? Or do they even think of us at all? Do they say God has come to help his people? Because let me be honest with you, Crosspoint, this morning. This is, this is what I dream about for us. This is something that keeps me up at night. That we would become a people who go just as Jesus went, and that as a result, the people of our city will say, 
God has come to help his people. That we would become that kind of a people, a Jesus people, who go just as he went. And, and I think the way that this happens, the only way that this happens, is that if we are surrendered to Christ fully, and that we receive our life from him and him alone, not from these things and this stuff and all this stuff that's going on, but we're surrendered to him fully, and we are full of Jesus, and that we go into the city and to the ends of the earth in the same way that Jesus went. Jesus went. Jesus went. The sending God sent him into the world. Jesus went. And because Jesus went, we've got to go. We've got to go. So let me just break this down for you in three ways. By, by looking at the life of Jesus and saying, what does that look like then for us? Here's the first way. The first way is we go about. That's it. We go about. We go about. Like Jesus, we've got to go out and about. The, the world is not changed when the church stands still. We've got to get out, and we've got to get moving. This is the, the starting point of bringing restoration to hearts and lives. And I wonder, I wonder what, what would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to go out and about? And here's the thing is you'll never know. You'll never know until you go out and about. You see, the starting point of mission is intentional. The starting point of, of mission is seldom accidental. It, it starts by putting one foot in front of the other. It starts with the choice to say, you know what? I'm tired of standing still. I want to go out, and I want to go about. And if we learn anything from Jesus, it's simply this. Mission doesn't always happen in the most glamorous of places. Jesus' feet led him to a village called Nain. And sometimes mission happens in the most mundane, everyday experiences. Like when you're out walking your dog, or when you're sitting in your work cubicle, or when you're going down the street to collect your mail. But sometimes mission also leads you to costly places, unseemly places, dangerous places. And Jesus is always looking for people who will go where others will not tread. And I find that oftentimes this is why we will avoid mission. Because mission costs us something to go about. And oftentimes this is why we don't do it. I find that for myself as well. Um, as many of you know, Karen and I uh, recently moved to the north side. And it's, it's been kind of a crazy whirlwind for us these last uh, few months. Renovations, buying a house, selling a house, moving into a house, more renovations, right? So uh, up a few months ago, we were up to our eyeballs in renovations in this other house, getting it ready to sell, to, to, to move up here. Um, and at that time, in the midst of crazy, Karen asked me to go out and about. She asked me to do something that I, I didn't really want to do. You see, about a year ago, uh, we had in, befriended a Syrian family who had moved to Edmonton, uh, and they were new Canadians. And I'd gone to their house with Karen and visited with them once. And then after that, uh, Karen continued to visit with them. We, I really liked them. Karen really loved them and liked them. And uh, we were building a relationship with them and spending time with them. Um, but my life had been so busy. Like it, just with moving the church here and moving into the house, you can understand. So Karen, when Karen asked me to join her, in other words, let's go out with them. Let's go have dinner with them. Let's spend an evening with them. Everything inside of me screamed no way. I do not want to go. And I was, I was making up every excuse in my mind. I mean, I was bone tired. I was, I was worn out from the new move to the church campus. And uh, I was worn out from renovations. I had a daughter graduating, going off to college. I got another daughter, just got engaged. You know, I'm behind in my doctoral dissertation. I'm getting fat. You know, I've got no real days off. You know, I just cannot add one more thing to my plate. No way. I don't have time take a detour to Nain. I don't want to take a detour to Nain. I want to put my feet up on the couch. I want to eat some Doritos, watch some Netflix, and fall asleep. That's what I want to do. No way. But when Karen asks twice, <laughs> you say, hey, how high, babe? How high do you want me to jump? 
So reluctantly, we decided, okay, we'll, we'll go spend some time with our Syrian friends. And, and we asked them, you know, have you ever been to the River Valley? And they said, no, we've never been to the River Valley. Imagine that. They've lived in Edmonton for a year, but they've never been to the River Valley because there's just so many re cultural restrictions that would keep them from going. So we took them down to the River Valley. Uh, we took them to this area called Wolf Willow, and there's this huge flight of 200 stairs called the Wolf Willow Stairs. We took them down the stairs, and we took them across and walked uh, a kilometer, went across a walking bridge that was there. And, and, he, and here's the thing. The interesting thing about that time with them is they didn't speak any English, and we don't speak any Arabic, right? So, um, but you can learn a lot from somebody just by looking into their eyes and spending time together. And the great thing is their kids spoke both languages. So their kids would translate back and forth, and we'd talk back and forth, and, and we'd pull out our, our little phones, and we'd you know, do Google Translate to, to get a few things across. Um, but we had a great time with them. We went, to the, we went to the bridge, and we stopped on the bridge, and they brought fruit along, and they cut up fruit, and we ate fruit together and talked and laughed. Karen had foot races with the kids on the bridge. I, I said no because of my Achilles. You know, I found a reason not to run. And then... Um, and then, and then I taught the kids how to make a, make a whistle out of grass. And we just had a fantastic time with them. And then afterwards, we went back. We went to McDonald's. We had ice cream together. We treated them to ice cream. We just spent more time together, spending the evening together with them. And uh, by the way, McDonald's ice cream is uh, halal friendly. Muslims can eat McDonald's ice cream. We just covered that. And so we just enjoyed ice cream cones together with them and the kids. And then about three hours later, four hours later, we had to say goodnight, and we had to get up in the morning to work, and we took them. They went home, and we went home. And I was so thankful that I didn't spend the night with my feet up on the couch watching Netflix. As a matter of fact, that experience was more life-giving to me than any night of watching a movie at home alone could ever have done. It was a fantastic evening. Friends, Jesus is, is leading us, and he's calling us to go about he is calling us to step from behind our screens into a flesh and blood world. To leave the comfort of our cul-de-sacs and our six-foot fences. To, to broaden our relationships beyond our bubble-wrapped Christian communities. Who knows where your feet will lead you if you decide that you are going to go out and about. As a church community, we, you, if you've been with us since the beginning, you know this, this is our DNA. This is what we believe. We want to be a Jesus people who go out and about. This is why, you know, a few weeks ago, we encouraged you to eat local in Northeast Edmonton because we want the people in this part of the city, we want the community to know that we are here and we care. This is why so many of you have reserved the portable party pack, as Dave talked about earlier today. You reserve the portable party pack because you want to love your neighbor because you know that the neighbor you know is the neighbor you can love and the neighbor you can serve. That if you don't know your neighbor, you can't love your neighbor and you can't serve your neighbor. This is why we do portable parties. We do block parties. It's also why we've begun to build relationships with local community agencies here. We're trying to discover, God, how can we help what's happening in the community here. Agencies like um, the Tegler Youth Center and agencies like Building Hope. We want to build those bridges. And the reason why is we want to be a people who go about. We don't want to be a church that stands still. So that's the first way. Is, is you go out and you go about. Here's the second way is your heart goes out. Your heart goes out. Here's the thing is when you step out and you go about, you will see the needs of others. They will immediately become visible to you. But it's important that you see these needs through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus wants us to share in his splagitsumai, his deep-seated compassion for the world. He wants us to feel what he feels. He wants us to feel like we've been kicked in the chest, like our stomach has been turned upside down over the brokenness that's all around us. And here's a question, and that's a question that haunts me, is when was the last time your heart was truly broken for the needs of this world? You know, in, in October, a team of cross-pointers is going to head out to Phuket, Thailand. And they're going to work with uh, our international workers, Darren and Naomi Herbold, and their organization for Freedom International. And the team will witness firsthand the devastating reality of children who are being trafficked for sexual exploitation. But they'll also witness the, the hope and the restoration that Jesus can bring to these kids and to these, to these women. I know one thing for certain. Some of us are going to get kicked in the gut. 
Some of us are going to get punched in the chest when we see what happens there because we've decided that we're going to go there and we're going to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. See, Jesus looks at the world, and the Scripture says he doesn't want anybody to perish. That's his heart. A heart that wept at the death of Lazarus. A heart that loved the rich young ruler who was trapped by his love for money. A heart that wept over Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that would ultimately crucify him. Jesus has a heart that prayed forgiveness over his enemies as he breathed his dying breath on the cross. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the lenses through which Jesus sees our world. But maybe, maybe this morning, maybe you're here today and, and you feel like your heart has been hardened. Maybe you're here today and you felt like you haven't cared about something for a very, very long time. Maybe you're here today and you just feel numb. You feel numb. Or maybe you feel jaded or cynical. And then trust me, I've been there. There have been times in my life where I've felt that. Maybe because I was too busy, or maybe because I was too exhausted, or maybe because I just didn't care. But I've been there. For the believer in Christ, the road back to compassion always begins by remembering that the way Jesus looks on you. See, Jesus sees you with compassion. Jesus sees, sees you with mercy. And, and it's only on, when you understand that you need mercy that you will experience his mercy. And, and it's only when you receive this truth that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, that there is nothing you have ever done to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. All you can do is receive his favor. And his favor was purchased for you through the death of his only son and that it is freely given to you. That God's posture towards you is compassion. His posture towards you is mercy. But here's the thing. Is you, you have to really understand it. You have to really allow it to sink into you, to your bones, so that it's more than just words. So that it's more than just an idea. You have to invite the Holy Spirit sometimes to make it real to the very core of your being. This is what it means to live in the gospel. This is what it means to swim in the gospel. To understand that when Jesus looks on you, he sees you with compassion. Would you allow Jesus' gaze to just fall across you? So that your heart might be softened for the needs of the world. Receive the gospel yourself before you choose to bring the good news to the world. You know, it's, it's been three months since we moved into this new campus here on 50th Street. And every day, we're, we're just discovering more and more that we are surrounded by heartbreaking needs. And, and I think and I believe that as a church, we need to pray that God would break our hearts for the things that break his heart. Could we start doing that? Would you join with me in doing that? Like I, I mean, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, God, would you, would you stop us being so jaded and cynical and judgmental? But would you truly just break our hearts for this community, for this city, for the world? Would you wake us up and break our hearts? You know, we have people in this community experiencing homelessness. I mean, you've probably seen the shopping carts in our parking lot this morning as you came in. Kids and youth are growing up in brokenness. There's gangs, there's drugs, there's violence. There's a shooting down on 113th Ave and 68th Street just the other day. There's Syrian refugees who are living just north of the Yellowhead who are trying to figure out how to live in a strange land with strange customs and feel terribly isolated. Don't know how their kids are going to be raised in this new world. We're surrounded by it. And so God, would you, would you break our hearts for the things that break your heart? That's my prayer. Well, let, me, let me just talk about the final way. The final way is you, you actually go to the needs. You go to the needs. See, it's not enough just to go out and about. It's not enough just to feel something. You actually have to do something. Compassion has hands and feet and a voice. And we've said this before and we say it again. You are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus to the world. There is no plan B. You are the only plan. You are the body of Christ. And you represent Jesus in the world. You are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. 
And I'm always inspired when I hear stories uh, of cross-pointers who are out there, who are responding with compassion to real needs. Stories of uh, sewing clothes for the mustard seed or collecting bottles for building hopes. Stories of volunteering to, to work with people who just got out of prison, teaching them car mechanics so that they could go on and, and, and get job skills and careers. Stories of, of people opening up their homes to someone who needs a place to live and can't afford a place to live. Stories of, of you caring for your aged neighbors who can't mow their lawns or take care of their yards, but you're going to do it for them anyways. These stories of, of you living on mission and reaching, meal, uh, reaching true needs always inspires me, Crosspoint. Crosspoint has hands, feet, and a voice. And here's the thing. Is, is me, <laughs> meeting, meeting needs is never easy, right? If it was, nobody would be, everybody would be doing it. Meeting real needs is never convenient. It always has a cost. And sometimes it means pushing through barriers. Sometimes it means somebody has to put their hand on the funeral buyer when nobody else will. Now, there's one cross-pointer a, uh, a while ago told me about a block party that they hosted, and it turned into a, a bare-knuckled brawl at the end of the night between some neighbors, and their role was to go in and to split up the fight, okay? Isn't that a great block party? <laughs> when you want to do that? But that's the thing, is, is, is being out there is risky, it's costly. And oftentimes it takes you out of your comfort zone. It interrupts your life as you know it. And most of us are so caught up and so busy and so focused on the next thing. And we don't want our lives to be interrupted. And sometimes I think we just need to pray, God, would you just, would you just interrupt my life today? Interrupt my life. That's a dangerous prayer, you know? I'll give you an example. Um, recently, I, I was out for a bike ride uh, with a fellow cross-pointer. His name was uh, Nathan DeCary. Nathan's not here this morning, but uh, he's going to listen in on this story. Check my um, facts. Uh, but Nathan and I were out for a, for a bike ride. And, and we're somewhere in the middle of our bike ride. We're following the paved trails in, here in northeast Edmonton. We're somewhere between uh, two parks, um, Hermitage Park and Rundle Park. Anyway... We were about to make our ascent up this very, very, very steep path, and we had just shifted down into our low gears, and we're making our way. We're ready for the pain, ready to go up. And as we're slowly going up this hill, a biker comes barreling down the hill and goes past us on the other side. And I thought to myself, wow, he's going really fast, okay? And then we heard it, crash. And we both turned around, and we looked, and about 50 meters behind us, there he was in a heap on the pavement and he wasn't moving. And I thought, okay, I, I don't really have an option here. I better go back. So we turned our bikes around, and we went back. And, and when we got up to him, I, I saw him there. He was, he was lying on his back. His legs were tangled up in his bike. He was still wearing his helmet. Um, but his face was just murdered, like busted in, broken nose, lip was bleeding huge contusion on the side of his eye and he was bleeding there was so much blood it was pouring out onto the pavement pouring into the cracks and he was unconscious and at first i thought is he alive but then i noticed he was breathing i thought okay he's alive and so i i spoke to him and i says hey can you hear me can you hear me and there was no response so i reached down and, and, and i grabbed his hand and i said listen can you hear me can you hear me and then his eyes fluttered and he woke up Meanwhile, Nathan had decided he's going to go up to the hill, and he went up the hill, and he stopped all bike traffic coming down because we had taken up the path, and, and he called 911, and he was starting to give um, information to the dispatch on how to find their way to where we were in this remote location. Well, eventually, the, the man sat himself up, um, and eventually, he actually got up to his feet. But here's the interesting thing is he was over 70 years old. He was over 70 years old, but he was wearing his helmet. And let me just say wear a helmet if you're riding your bike because if he wasn't wearing a helmet man but he was in rough shape he was dizzy he was all over the place and he kept talking in circles and he kept asking me again and again how did i get here where was my accident what's your name again and again and again he didn't know where he was and he kept and 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 so i i was trying to play doctor like, I didn't, you know, I was, I was saying, okay, this, no, you shouldn't sit up. Your neck might be broken, right? 
And then he's standing up, he's bleeding. I say, you know, we got to, here, let's get a, a diaper. Push it on your head um, and keep, stop the bleeding. Compression, I think, works, you know. And so I'm playing doctor with him, trying to, trying to help him out. And he's like, I want to go back to my car and just drive home. I'm like, no, I don't think that'd be a good idea. You shouldn't drive home. And what's interesting is, finally he said to me, he says, you know, I'm a medical doctor. And he says, I've never been in a situation in my life I've always helped people in a crisis. But this is the first time in my life that somebody has helped me in a crisis. And I said, well, I shouldn't be giving you advice. <laughs> you should be giving me advice. He says, no, 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 I'm glad you're here. He said, I'm so glad you're here because I don't know where I am. And I don't know how to help myself. But I'm glad you guys stopped and you're here to help me. Well, eventually the six um, paramedics and first responders came down the hill. They borrowed a golf cart from up the golf course and they helped him up and they went on his way and uh, got on my bike and Nathan and I made our ascent up that hill and as I'm biking up the hill I realized to myself is I never actually caught his name I have no idea who he is and so I'm looking at Google just like did he survive and <laughs> like what happened right I have no idea who he was no idea who he was but that doesn't matter Helping other people is never easy. It is never convenient. It interrupts your life. But here's the thing. If Nathan and I hadn't gone out and about that day, we would have never encountered the cyclist. And as I stood over that cyclist, let me tell you, my heart went out to him. I still cannot get his face out of my mind. But can you imagine if in that moment, when I heard the bike crash, I decided to do nothing? Eh, he's fine. Keep on going. Or I turned around and I came down and I held his hand and his eyes fluttered open and I said, oh, whew, good, you're awake. All right, you'll be okay. We'll see you later. Get on my bike, go back up the hill. Can you imagine? Well, no, because when we see the needs of the world around us, we cannot help but respond. When you see real needs, you have to respond. You've got to go. You've got to go. And Crosspoint, so this is, this is the prayer for us, and this is the question for us, and this is my desire for us, is at Crosspoint, may we be a Jesus people. May we be a kingdom people who go out and about and whose hearts go out to the brokenness that's around us. And that we are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus to the needs of our neighborhoods, our city, and the ends of the earth. That we would be that people. That's my prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray with me um, this morning. And uh, just to have some reflective prayer as we finish uh, off our time together. So... Let's just take a moment and let's just close our eyes and open our hearts to God. And there are just three um, compelling questions I want you to ask this morning. I thank you, Father, that you're here and that you're present and that you know us and you see us and you love us. And I pray as we pray that you would just guide our hearts. The first question I want you to consider this morning is how is God nudging you to go out and about? What's God saying to you this morning? Take a moment and reflect on that and then pray to the Lord about it. Here's the second question is, how is your heart? Is it numb? Is it tired? Is it jaded? Do you need to receive the good news again today? And maybe you just want to do that. 
Maybe you just want to pray, Jesus, let your gaze fall on me. I want to receive your mercy in this moment. final question is this. Are you willing to go wherever Jesus wants you to go? In other words, are you willing to allow him to interrupt your life? And that's his call on each of us. Take a moment and talk to God about that. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to the ends of the earth to call us out of darkness into your light, and you entered into our world, and you've begun this process of transformation to make us more like you. And we pray that you would make us more like you. You are the one who goes. May we be people who go. Interrupt our lives today, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, as we close, uh, if you are here today and you are in need of prayer, we have a, a, a team that would be more than willing to come alongside of you and pray for you in your need, whatever your need is. Um, also, let me just uh, remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, and you are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Love you guys. God loves you more. Find someone who doesn't look like you, who you don't know, and meet them this morning. All right? God bless. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.